You're listening to episode 32 of season 13 of the GNU World Order for day 216 of 2019. Hey everybody, before I forget, I've been asked by 5150 to mention that on August 9, 10, and 11, there is the Kansas Linux Fest located at the Wichita State University. I will unfortunately not be there. I'm kind of missing it by a day, just coincidentally, I'm actually traveling out to the States August 10, and I'll be in the States August 10, but I'll be way over on the East Coast, not very close to Kansas at all. And uh, it's a pity, it's, it's a pity because I, lately the only conferences that I really can get to are, are the larger ones, because that's the ones, that, those are the ones that, that work will pay for, really. And so I, I, I'm missing out on great fests that I was, that, that, that were sort of my bread and butter when I lived in the States, and they were super easy to get to, such as the Southeast Linux Fest. Uh, certainly I would have checked out the Kansas Linux Fest if, if that had been around when I was in the States, and so on. So it's it's a pity uh, I'm not going to be there, but you should go if you're anywhere close to Kansas or can get there. It's, it's well worth attending, probably. I mean, I don't know. I've never been there, but uh, these little quote-unquote little Linux fests are kind of the places to go for for the sheer amount of, of Linux content, as the name suggests. But in in a way, they, they're the ones, I think, that you can rely upon uh, sitting down at a, a talk and actually seeing the, the speaker project a Linux desktop rather than some other desktop talking about generic open source topics. So Linux Fest, Kansas Linux Fest, probably worth checking out August 9, 10, 11 at the Wichita Wichita State University. I would love to go. You should go in my stead. Let's see, aside from that, this episode, well, you know, previous episodes we've talked about kind of big topics, or, or not necessarily big topics, but, but we've gone quite far in depth into topics. So IPC, inter-process communication, uh, was was episode 31, and then we talked about uh, password store in episode 30, hex dump in 29. So I I, I kind of want to take a break from the the super hardcore deep delves into commands and talk about a couple of different things in this episode. One being how to set up a Dropbox-like function using Nextcloud. I think that's worth talking about because I had to do it recently for for somebody. And it's not difficult to do, but it's one of those things where once you do it, you think, oh my gosh, that's really surprising that that feature exists, and how nice. It's not a feature, really, that people seem to talk about a whole lot with, with NextCloud. It's, it's um, a lot of the buzz around Next, NextCloud is just the sheer convenience of, of having your own uh, file system, I guess, available to you via a network, which is huge, and I've talked about that previously, I mean, years ago now, so it's probably worth mentioning again, but I, I won't right now. And, and then I also, if, if we have time, I'd like to talk about the conundrum of being a power user on Linux, and I'll explain what I mean about uh, by that in due time. First, let's start with, with Nextcloud. So Nextcloud, as you probably know, is a self-hosted cloud environment, which is kind of a, a, a nebulous term. Um, the whole cloud term itself is, is pretty nebulous, and, and there are questions of, well, is it really a cloud, or is it a hybrid cloud, and, and who owns the cloud, and what, what, what's the cloud running on, what kind of infrastructure is, is running the cloud, and so on. So Nextcloud is, is sort of 
none of that. It's it's almost, if you think about it, it's almost sort of a CMS for your own stuff. That's kind of how I think about it. So if you imagine having, let's say, WordPress or, or Drupal or some Joomla, some, some, some sort of web app like that, except instead of exposing stuff to the wide world, it's really meant for users who are going to log in and sort of mess around in that environment. I think I've, I've mentioned in the past that there were some really interesting experiments into the idea of a truly, truly remote desktop. I mean, the where the desktop is not ever on your device. It, it exists on a server, and you log in, and you, you interact with it. And there were some fascinating experiments around that a long time ago, and I, I'm pretty sure I had screenshots of it at a time, and I think those screenshots have just sort of faded from 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 hard drives because it's just not something that you ever think is that big of a deal at the time or you think it's a big deal but you think it's not gonna that that it's a thing that's going to be around forever and so you don't think of it as something particularly special or historic and then of course 10 years later you look back and think oh yeah i should have should have probably kept track of those screenshots just for for historical sort of proof of proof of existences uh, I remember one was called iOS, E-Y-E-O-S, and it was a, a little application on the on on, an, on a server through the internet. You would log in, and there was a desktop, and the desktop was fully functional. It had you know application menu, it had a taskbar, it had a file manager window, and and you could you would reach into your web browser and use this desktop environment just as you would your normal desktop, but it was in a web browser. So it was very much the feel of a, I guess, like a um, like a virtual machine. But it was unique because it, it ran in your de- in your web browser and, and it was a fully functional environment. It was pretty slick, and I don't know that it's really all really around all that much now um if you go to opensourcecms.com slash ios it seems like something pretty similar to it released in 2005 with the latest release date being 2011 it does appear to sort of exist i just don't know exactly how to get a hold of it or how to install it um there is a download link that goes to SourceForge. I don't know, I've kind of written off SourceForge at this point, so it's hard to take that seriously. That said, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something to it. Uh, there is a iOS-2.5.rar available uh, from 2013, It's that, that which doesn't align with the latest release, which said it was 2011. In other words, not too clear about what's going on with that. And maybe I'll check it out and report back on it uh, later. I don't know. Point being... There were these attempts to to provide remote operating environments at one point, and they 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 went as far as they as they went. Uh, there were a lot more than iOS. That was just the one that I I could remember off the top of my head. Uh, and and I think ultimately people probably figured out that 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 taking the desktop paradigm and sticking it into a web browser just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. It was one of those those interesting experiments that ultimately it was just like, well, we don't we probably don't need this full desktop experience necessarily, especially if we're if, we're, if you're assuming we're going to run it in a web browser, then the web browser itself is probably running in a desktop environment. So you've got this weird level of recursion that you you probably just flat out don't need. 
and, and it probably there's there's a barrier there, right? You can't take something out of your iOS file manager and drag it into your your native desktop file manager. So suddenly there it feels like there's a a blocker, like there's a like it's it the the convenience factor goes way down because you see something that you feel should be possible but you can't do it. And so what sort of evolved from that, I think, was were were things like Nextcloud, and probably there are closed source uh, equivalents to this which I, I don't actually know what those would be maybe sharepoint i don't know is that is that a, is that like this at all i'm not really sure um but it's just it's it's a shared file system right i mean that's that's ultimately all you really all you really need is just an a- access to these shared directories and shared files and that's what nextcloud basically is and then on top of that convenience of having access to these to these files that you want to have access to you've also got apps that can run inside your environment and these apps amount to to sort of services that you might expect from a a, a home page on on the internet so you might have like a rss feed reader you may have a calendar um, app or a chat app so you can talk to other people in your little next cloud bubble um and so on so you've got you've got these these add-on features to what ultimately is a file manager and the file manager has a uh, basic file management features that you can copy a directory you can rename a directory you can upload files into directories and so on and then you can share the directories right so if you've got two people in your little next cloud bubble that you've installed on your server you get you you create two logins and now you've got Clatu and you've got Gort and they can both log into the cloud and if they want to send each other information they can put that information into a directory click the little share icon add the other person to the uh, sharing permission set and now the other person finds that directory in their little cloud environment it's been shared with them, so they have a, a window into it. And of course, there's different levels of sharing. You can share so that they can read the stuff that you provide them. You can share it such that they can read and edit, and so on. So it's a lot like a multi-user system. It is kind of the the Unix ideal happening in in this kind of very friendly, shareable uh, environment. Now, I've used Google Drive a little bit in real, not in real life, but in work life, and um, I have to say that that Nextcloud is a heck of a lot more sort of it takes a much more logical approach to the process. Uh, Nextcloud, I I've never felt like like I don't have like I can't keep track of of stuff in Nextcloud the way that I felt about Google Drive. For instance, I, I know that on at least from what I can tell on Google Drive, you don't really have an idea of the of of sort of the location of a directory. And and generally the URLs that I've seen when people send me stuff on a Google Drive, they, they tend to be something like drive.google.com and then slash and then some huge long uh, some sha256 hash string that makes no sense. And apparently you can't you can't create shortcuts to these things. I mean, like you cannot impose like a realistic name on them. But in in Nextcloud, you've got something like example.com/nextcloud. Let's say it's where you've got your cloud installed. Uh, slash index.php slash apps slash files slash question mark dir equals slash um, foo. 
and 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 that would be the path to the directory called foo. Sure, it's a little bit clunky. There's there's a lot of index.php slash app slash files slash question mark dir. That could be cleaned up maybe. And maybe there's a function in Nextcloud to clean that up. I don't know. I've never looked into it because it, it hasn't been a problem for me. But but certainly that's that's a heck of a lot easier, you know, if you know that the that the front part of your, your path is is all that and then it ends in question mark dir equals and then the name of the directory then that's really all you need to know to go straight to the place that you want, which is really, really refreshing to me because, um, you know, it seems, it feels like a lot of the, shall we say, larger tech companies that are really trying to push kind of their own infrastructure on people, for for whatever reason, it just seems like they're really dedicated, like seriously dedicated, like legitimately, they, they have an interest in obfuscating how to get to your own data. And I don't know exactly what that's all about. I don't know if that's if it's a true oversight, and they think that it just never occurred to them that a, that any user might ever want to know exactly how to point to a location, or or if it's something a lot more nefarious than that, where they just think, well, the less that we give to people, the more that they will be sort of in service to us, because they'll they'll have to use our infrastructure to find their own data and won't that be fun for them um and and they do seem to be pushing like the whole search idea a lot right like a couple of different companies have have said either blatantly or just implicitly that that they're that they have decided that the way people organize things is by putting them into a big bucket and then searching you can do that in nextcloud if that's the way that you prefer to do things but but certainly if you don't prefer to do that you don't have to. There are ways to 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 find your own data. To, to you can jot down on a piece of paper, a physical piece of paper, file paths. You know, and you just know that okay, everything starts with this big long ugly string, possibly, uh, and then and then it terminates with the question mark dir equals and then the name of that directory that you want. And I think that's that's a brilliant method and a lot more a lot more user friendly to me. And Nextcloud's super easy to install too, and I think I've probably said this on this show before, but it 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 really is embarrassingly easy. Um, you can run this thing on a shared hosting, like a v- virtual private shared host. You can you can run Nextcloud probably. I mean, it helps if you have SSH access. Helps if you can get in there and, and adjust you know which PHP version your version you're running, and so on. But generally. Places seem to be pretty open to that now, at least so as far as I can tell. I haven't had a problem. I'm running it on two virtual private, no, one now, but I have run it on two separate ones, three separate ones, and there's never been a problem. Uh, it's It sort of boils down to, I think, this is the way that I think about it, if you can run WordPress on your virtual private hosting, then you can um, then you can run Nextcloud. That's, that's the general rule of thumb that I've been going off of. There are obviously exceptions, like if you get the dirt cheapest, I don't know, GoDaddy account or something where technically you can run WordPress because GoDaddy has a magic button that they press for you, then yeah, maybe you can't do Nextcloud so well. But um, if, if you can install WordPress, then you can install Nextcloud. And, and generally speaking, it's just a matter of setting your PHP version, maybe giving your PHP a little bit more memory in php.ini, and then just dropping Nextcloud in, going to the setup page in your browser and letting it run its thing. It can use an SQLite database, it can use a MySQL database, it's up to you, and you're 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 off and running. So 
And of course, I should mention, I mean, if you don't want to do that, if that's not your style, if you'd prefer to have someone else run your infrastructure, which is perfectly acceptable, uh, you can go to nextcloud.com and purchase hosting, like a hosting plan from them, and they'll, they'll be a dedicated Nextcloud uh, host for you to to use your, your Nextcloud on. Now, you could argue, well, that, that defeats the purpose of Nextcloud because now you're using someone else's infrastructure, but I... I I feel like that's not correct. I feel like uh, Nextcloud hosting your your infrastructure isn't such a horrible thing cause, because it's Nextcloud is super good good about being able to get your data back out, and I think that's that's where a lot of the bigger tech companies obviously sort of transgress the most is that once you give them your data, it's not necessarily super easy to get your stuff back out. But Nextcloud is a hundred percent about making sure that you retain all of your data, access to all of your data at all times. Uh, so it's it's quite nice. And, you know, I don't know, there's HTTPS, so if you're concerned about privacy, there's that. Whether or not you really want to store your stuff on someone else's server is up to you. But um, certainly I would, I, I guess what I'm saying is I would rather host, I would rather pay NextCloud to host my own quote-unquote personal cloud, although it's on their infrastructure, so the personal is a little bit fuzzy. But I'd rather do that than, for instance... Um, give everything over to Google, for instance, or even Apple, frankly. I mean, like, I, I think Apple still has their iCloud or their Me or whatever they call it these days. I just, you know, and it's great that they're being very, uh, very, very, very good about encryption, apparently, people tell me. But I'm um, just not sure if I would, I would, if I would give all that stuff over to them necessarily. I think I would probably, well, I know I wouldn't because I don't, but I would rather have it on my own, on my own little Nextcloud slice. So all that's just to say that if you don't have a Nextcloud install yet, you should get one. It's really cool. I mean, I, I lived and breathed off of Nextcloud at my old job uh, at a movie studio where there was a lot of sort of there was a lot of stuff locked down for fear of uh, things being leaked. You know, screenshots of of upcoming movies and stuff being leaked out. There there was a sort of a pretty good restriction on access outside of of any kind of network and it was just really nice to have nextcloud that i could log in just instead of you know a lot of people used google to to log in to get to get stuff you know to get get access to their calendar or to get access to to files that they needed to refer to during the day as you do at work right you have to pay an electric bill or something and you need you need a copy of it or something so Nextcloud, you've got it. You've got all your stuff, but it's not. It's not through Google. So I, I, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was something that I used. Just it was my daily driver in many ways uh, at at my old job, and and even now it, it's being very, it's it's being great for me for a couple of different projects. I've got a couple of different installs with different people on different projects having access, and it's fantastic. It's it's a great way to to keep files in sync. Without having to deal with, you know, Git stuff, um, which I mean, Git is great, but it's not it's not necessarily the best for I don't know spreadsheets or something. So having Nextcloud as that shared environment is really 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 cool. And there are lots of little apps, like I say, like there are lots of things that you could use within Nextcloud to, you know, the text editors and things like that that you can that you can get so that you really can kind of live in the web browser, which typically I don't like to do, but if that's the option that you have in a certain environment, then that's maybe the best environment, or the best option. Okay, so my point, anyway, is that in addition to everything else that that this thing does, it can also create a Dropbox-like functionality. Now, it natively is sort of at least part of a Dropbox functionality, 
which when I say that, I mean it is a system by which you can have stuff living on a server somewhere staying in sync to some folder, some arbitrary folder in your home directory. And I've, I've heard a lot of people who, who say that's what they want in life. Like, that's, that's what they want. And I know that there's a thing called sync thing, I think. At least it used to be. There used to be a thing called sync thing. Yeah, sync thing. Uh, and I don't remember if I'm, I'm half, half, half kind of looking at it right now because I don't remember if it's, uh, yeah, it is. It's um, Mozilla public license, apparently. It's an odd choice, it seems, but there you go. So sync thing, um, continuous file syn- synchronization between systems, and it's got a whole bunch of different um, clients, and um, it, it works on all different kinds of operating systems and phones and, and so on. It is open source. It is open protocol. So that's something to look at, I guess. But um, And I'm sure there are lots of great features about sync thing. It's never something that I've ever needed, so I've never actually looked into it. I, I've heard other people talk about it a lot. But for me, at least, uh, it, it tends to not be like my whole home directory that I want synchronized. As I've said on the show before, I've got my little thumb drive, a magical thumb drive that, that has all of my data on it, and I back that up to my computer uh, when it's attached, and that's just kind of the the system that I use, I could see myself using uh, a sort of a, a remote syncing thing, uh, whether it's a sync thing or Nextcloud in the future at some point, but not certainly not right now. It's something that I'll probably consider. It does seem quite appealing on, on some level, but I think I would, I would want to run that off of my home server rather than any kind of purchased um, server. So anyway, point being, Nextcloud can do that. I, I use Nextcloud. There's a desktop client that looks at one specific folder or, or or several specific folders. So right there, if you're using Dropbox for that functionality, Nextcloud already is um, superior in that sense because I believe Dropbox doesn't necessarily let you have more than one account. I think there are minor little hacks that you can do to, to sync two folders at the same time or something like that via Dropbox, but you have to, it's, it's definitely a hack. It's not something that you're meant to do. Nextcloud doesn't care, obviously, how many how many accounts you have with Nextcloud. You, you're running them, so you can do whatever you want. The desktop clients let you dial in whatever account you want, point it at whatever folder you want it to be pointed at, and that becomes your synchronized folder. And uh, in any sort of Linux desktop environment, and probably others, but certainly in, in KDE or GNOME, it, 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 it handles that quite nicely. It, it lets you know when things have been synchronized and what's fallen out of sync and so on. So you, you have a really good idea of of the progress of, of, okay, well, is this file actually on my server? Oh, yes, it is. It's just been synchronized. So that that's good. And so that's right there. For a lot of people, that is the Dropbox angle, right? That's that's what they use Dropbox for. It's kind of what they expect out of a when if you say it's like a Dropbox, that's what they're that's what they're looking for. But there is that other side of Dropbox, which I think uh, probably is possibly at some point was probably what Dropbox was intended to be. Maybe I don't know. Um, and that is where people can upload files to a server for you, uh, or or download files from a server uh, that you want them to have. And you can set that up in Nextcloud by creating a new folder and maybe calling it something like, I don't know, Drop or Dropper or Data Drop. Let's call it Data Drop. That's cool. Data Drop. And once the folder exists, which now it does, you can click on it and then click the little share icon and that brings up a side panel. And the main option when when sharing is 
to to obtain a share a share link. And whenever you obtain a shared link, you can make that shared link read-only. You can allow uploading and editing. You can create a file drop for uploading only, so people can put things in but never see anything that was put in. Um, you can you can allow downloads. You can password protect it. You can set an expiration date and provide a note to the recipient so that they know you know, why they're at your page, why they've been told to upload something. Uh, or, of course, you can delete a share link. And you can create several share links. So if you need some set of people to have upload access and another set of people to have upload and editing, maybe with a password protection before they can edit, then you could create a different share link for them. So you've got you've got different means by which you can, you can allow people to interact with your, your shared link. Now, I will say that the shared links aren't super pretty. They're very much sort of what I was complaining about with the Google Drive stuff. It's, um, you know, example.com slash nextcloud or whatever slash index.php and then slash s slash qrs la 6 z 2b, you know, and it just goes on and on. Not super pretty. Now, luckily, if you're if you're running your own nextcloud, um, I, I think that it's, it's quite trivial. It, it would be quite trivial, I would think, to uh, then create a simple shortened link to your to your share to your file share. And the way that I do this is I go into a server and I create a new directory. So let's say it's example.com slash well I guess data drop would make sense since that's what we're calling our our, our little dropbox space. So I would do a make directory uh, data drop and then in that folder create an index.html, and this will be really simple. You just put a head tag, and then title, data drop, close title, and then meta http slash equiv equals quote refresh, close quote, content equals quote zero, semicolon, URL equals, and then dot dot, so go back one directory slash nextcloud slash index.php slash s slash six, or qrs la six z, whatever I said it was. Uh, close quote, close tag, close head. Now you've got a URL, an HTTP redirect in a in the default file of the folder example.com slash data drop. So whenever anyone goes there to example.com slash data drop, they get dumped into the index.html by default, which by default forwards them to the the actual location of your data drop. So it's basically like making your own shortened URLs, like your your bit.ly and your uh, whatever else there is out there. But it's just kind of the, the uh, very manual way of doing that, I guess. But the point is that if people need to send you big files or they want to send you a file, you don't want to have to go set up a FTP server or somewhere, an account somewhere, an SFTP, ideally. You don't have to go through all that. Nextcloud is the super easy, friendly way to do that. You create your little shared link to any given directory on your Nextcloud, uh, in your Nextcloud file system, you give them either that shared link directly, or you create a shortened version of that link for them to go to, and they get taken to a very friendly, sort of familiar-looking web page, right? It's just a, it's a nice, pretty HTML page, and this is this will work on a mobile or or a desktop. It's it's just a web page. There's a big button that says upload files, and they click it, and then they can upload files to you, and that's all they need to do. Um, people have been doing this. I've got I've got one set up for a certain project that I'm involved with, and 
people use it all the time from all over the world. They get pictures get uploaded, processed, and posted. And it's just that simple. I mean, it's it's not it's not super robust because it's all just sort of a manual process. It's not my gig though, so I don't care. Um, you know, if I was doing this, I would probably have the uploads happen, and then the some script would drop in and do the processing with Image Magic or something like that, and then post them. But it's not my it's not my thing. I'm just managing infrastructure, so it doesn't matter to me. But it is super friendly. People enjoy it. People aren't afraid to go there, click on the button, and it works. I think it's time for coffee, so let's go get one. <laughs> got a cup of coffee. I've got my cup of coffee. You know, when I was thinking the other day how I, I was protecting the, the identity of the person who had sent me coffee, and I, I, I realized that it's actually not that important, because if you want your name mentioned on the show, you can just email me and say, hey, mention my name on the show. It would be that easy. So it was Carl. Carl sent me the coffee. There, now everybody knows. It's out. It's no longer a, a secret. Thank you, Carl, for sending me coffee. Next up, we're going to talk about the conundrum of being a power user on Linux. What does that mean? Um, so I was, it kind of occurred to me the other day, because I was talking to someone, a friend of mine, uh, and, and he was, he was, he, well, actually this has happened a couple of times, so there's two separate people that I'm thinking of, actually, and, and in both cases, they, they were talking, and it, it was sort of, they would, they would qualify something with, I'm not a technical user, and they would say that frequently, I'm not a technical user. Now, you know how I feel about that term, right? Technical user. What does that even mean? Like, why why isn't everyone a technical user? Why why are there technical users and non-technical users? I don't really get that. But they, they, would, they would say that. They would qualify anything that they were doing on the computer with, well, I'm not a, a very technical user. And, and it's funny because then, you know, the next sentence is, and so I opened up the terminal and blah blah blah, you know, and and performed some some task in a very in a way that many people would think, well, that's a very technical activity that you've just done. And and both of these people that I'm talking about are running Linux desktops, and so right there, a lot of people would say, well, then you're a technical user because only technical users can possibly use Linux, and so on. So there's a lot of, you know, the the this this caveat of oh, I'm not a very technical user. It's it's. It's this weird kind of, it's this qualifier for something that I think because you're almost afraid that that because you are using this specific tool, people will interpret you to be more knowledgeable than perhaps you actually are. Or maybe because you're afraid that people will, will expect you to to then lean into the, 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 the technicalities of things more than you care to lean into them. A, you don't really want to necessarily get that far into it. And I think that's a totally fair thing. I don't think that people should have to be, be, be more more into any one aspect of a, of a computer than they want it to be. There's no reason for that. Um, I think it's it's important that people are able to to specialize in in whatever they darn well please, right? If you want to be the expert on 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 color spaces or uh, composite modes in GIMP, 
then that's what you should be able to do. You should be able to concentrate on that one thing, and that can be your thing. And if someone says, cool, well, you obviously know a lot about composite modes, so why don't you just drum up a, uh, a quick C application to... Um, to create this effect, and you th and you should be able to comfortably say, because uh, I don't know C, and I don't want to learn C. I'm I'm a user. I I'm, I do this thing, and that's what I do, and that's that's my specialty. That's an important important policy to establish. I think Linux desktops should not imply that anyone using the thing is necessarily. I should mention I'm looking out the window right now, and it is just snowing like you wouldn't believe. It has been snowing all morning, all day, and it is fantastic. It's four inches of snow uh, on the ground right now. It's really, really amazing. The South Island is so much better than the North Island of New Zealand. Uh, anyway, the, the Linux desktop shouldn't imply, shouldn't demand that people become more technical than they want to become. And I think sort of almost, in a weird way, the flip side of that is when you are using Linux and you accidentally become a power user. You become that sort of very technical user who you, you, you get curiouser and curiouser and you keep going farther and farther down that path of, well, now that I understand how this composite mode works or what results visually it produces, I'd really like to actually see the code for that. And so you go and open up the, the source code. Of, of that mode and you look at it to figure out why it's doing that thing or why it's not taking this into account or something like that and and suddenly you're you're going really really deep into some some aspect of something that that previously you you couldn't have done anyway because if you're doing this on if you're if you're looking at Adobe Photoshop composite modes you are literally unable to analyze those right you can look at what visually they produce you can come up with theories on why some reaction occurs or doesn't occur, but you can't go look at the source code for confirmation. That's not something that you can you can do. That's it would be highly illegal for you to do that. In fact, if you were able to to obtain that code, so the the fact that you have like the luxury of doing that on Linux and on open source in general is is huge. It's a huge big deal, and it's it's a very sort of enabling thing you know if you have a, if you have that question that inkling of a question then watch out because you could you could fall off the edge and and actually find out now the conundrum here is that if you do that if you sort of take advantage of all of these luxuries that open source affords you you become whether you whether you sort of think about it or not and whether you sort of own up to it or not you become a power user you become a highly technical user because you had a question about how this composite mode works or or about how how to how to customize your file manager in this way or how to customize your text editor in that way and and you you go look you go find out and now you're that much you've you've accidentally taken a step up this imaginary ladder and and people sort of observing you might casually say, well, you are quite the power user now, aren't you? Because you've customized this aspect of your computer. But that, that wasn't your intent. You, you didn't do that thing because you thought to yourself, I want to become a power user. You just did it because you were able to. And so the, f the, the more you do that, the more you take advantage of open source, the more technical, the more of a power user you become, thereby more or less negating 
your statement, your, your, your disclaimer that you're not a power user, you're not a technical user. And I'm not 100% sure what that statement even means. If you say I'm not I'm not a technical user or I'm not I'm not a I'm not a power user. I think what we're really saying when we say this as as desktop Linux desktop users who say that, I think what we're all really saying is don't mistake me for someone who was trained to do this or who set out with the purpose of getting to where I am. I I'm I'm just I sort of wandered in by accident to this point. And that's really what we're saying is that there's it's it's it was not fully intentional to get this deep into the into the wires and twiddly knobs as it is for people who have gone to school and said okay i'm going to become a programmer and i'm going to or a a, a ux designer or a whatever where they're where they're there and they have all the right industry terms and they know the the things to cite and the sources to look at and and all of that other stuff we're just sort of accidental power users and the frustrating thing about that, I think, is that once you've become an accidental power user, then it's very, very difficult to convince people looking looking on that 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 you're you're not who you you're not that there's no glass separating you. You know that there's that that when they're observing you and thinking, well, that person can only do this thing because they're they're highly technical. But you think, well. No, I'm not. I'm not highly technical. I just I wandered in here and happened to wander a little bit farther than I realized I was wandering. So you you know anyone could be here. Like there's no special. I didn't get a special grant to be here. I didn't get some kind of. I I didn't steal anything to get here. It's just it's just persistence and sort of out of sheer ignorance that I ended up knowing everything that there is to know as far as I can tell about this one aspect of the thing you know whether it's I don't know to keep going back to my GIMP composite mode expertise or KDN live ex- uh, co- composite blending mode expertise or or how to configure your text editor in a certain way or what options you need to enter into your nginx configuration to do a reverse proxy in such a way that you know whatever load balancing Whatever it might be, you gain this expertise, and somehow, in this weird way, you you necessarily give up that 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 card of well, I'm not a very technical user. I'm just a normal person. You become this sort of elevated, super smart person, even though really there's no reason to think that you are any different than than someone looking on. And that can be frustrating because you think it, it becomes. I think it can become an excuse for some people not to not to go in that direction, you know, sort of like, well, I can't do that thing. You're there because you're very professional, you're, you're very, uh, you're very much a power user and a technical user. I couldn't be there, so I'm going to stay right here. And you think, but I was you, like, three years ago. Like, I was right where you are, were. And it's just this, this, this idea that there's, like, a separation between the people who have figured this thing out and who haven't figured it out. And there's no barrier, actually. And, and it's very difficult sometimes to convince people that, that that barrier just isn't there. Now, there's the other side of that of that of that story is that there are barriers between where you are and where you were. Sometimes, for for some people, there can be barriers that 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 didn't happen to exist for you. Whether it's this person has three jobs and 
doesn't have time to investigate all the little niggly bits that you were able to investigate because you only had had two jobs and 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 you didn't have anything better to do in the evening so you ended up becoming an expert on this thing you know so i mean there there is that but in terms of just kind of whether or not there is an an inherently technical user i just i i can't see that that's a thing and i i feel like there's yeah I, I feel like that the the tech industry some some parts of the tech industry want that to be a reality that there's that there is a difference between the non-programmer and the programmer and then other parts of the tech industry really doesn't want there to be that difference you know the you've got the programming for everyone and and you know all these specialist groups of like hey everyone should learn javascript or everyone should learn python or whatever and i i think that in spirit is 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 great but then there is that persistent sort of i i feel like it's the marketing machine where where there has to be these extremely quote-unquote user-friendly interfaces so that people can can log in and do these simple tasks in these safe environments provided by these big technical corporations that that wouldn't want to expose anyone to anything that was too scary or too technical for them and and so there are these these very easy ways to get certain things done and i think right now one of the barriers to breaking down the separation between those things honestly is that so much has moved to the internet that to get people to sort of establish places where where normal people can go and and do normal things you you really do kind of need an infrastructure and i think that's one of the biggest dangers to universal computing right now is the reliance upon infrastructure if you want to run a website where you have lots of people going to it and and participating in i don't know social network activity whatever that may be then you kind of need the you need a, a thing that runs reliably so that it's it's so that it's there when people need it because i mean it's it's one thing to say oh you, we can just throw up an, a quick a quick next cloud instance and and we'll all have we'll basically have a uh, maybe a facebook like function i don't really know what facebook does so i don't know but you know you have a place to come and share pictures with each other and uh do whatever else you might do on a social media thing but if that next cloud instance uh falls out of updates or or something goes wrong with your database or you've installed it on a, a little vps slice and you realize that you've got too many people for that now and you're going to need dedicated hosting and you know and it becomes this sort of this problem where you suddenly need like these you need the infrastructure and you don't necessarily have it or or if you, if you did have it then then it's going to start costing you more to run um and it there's there's a huge you know it kind of becomes a different this whole becomes like a problem of just logistics whereas the big corporations out there running these 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 entities that people go to every day they don't have that problem they just have a big pool of of bandwidth and storage and they do whatever needs to be done and it just it sort of happens magically out there and that's quite a convenient sort of luxury to have and not something that everyone does have and i think that things like mastodon uh and i think what is it pixel pixel feed pixel tube something like that there are a couple of couple of quote-unquote federated technologies out there now that are seeking to sort of start to break that down but as someone on mastodon said months ago now is that for it to really truly work the way that it i think it needs to work is it, it just it needs to be an app 
right? It, everything's got to be an app, not not on not a mobile app, but it needs to it needs to be something that you download and you have this clickable entity and you click on it and it launches and you maybe you've got a window where you configure a couple of things and that's the extent of it. And now you've got your own node on a much larger network and your node can pull in things from other places such that there is the illusion that you're all on the same well it's not an illusion but there's the you are now on the same network but you're only on the same network by virtue of the fact that you've joined as a node and now we've got an infrastructure that creates itself and i think that's really really a place where we kind of need to get to eventually uh, pro- sooner than later would be would be good um and i think i think it's important for that to exist because the the the, the idea of federation rather than well of decentralization rather than centralization that's that's the important that's the important aspect of of getting free of the infrastructure requirements and i think that'll help i think that'll help differentiate between between self provided solutions uh versus tech company solutions and ideally in that kind of situation you've got people who are who are not necessarily quote unquote technical users, but they end up wandering into a technical domain because now they're doing things like running their own nodes on a, a larger network. And it doesn't feel like a technical thing that they're doing, but you could argue it's a very technical thing. And I think for a lot of people, that's the difference between between the, oh, I'm not a technical user and I am a technical user, is how technical, quote unquote, technical does it feel? If it feels very technical, like if you've had to open up a terminal and look at source code to figure out this composite mode or whatever you're doing, then you're a technical user. But if it was super easy and all you had to do was click a button, then you're not a technical user, but you've done this really technical, cool thing. A great example, I guess another really good example, would be um, the LAMP stack, which I've talked about on this episode and I've written some blog posts about before. You should probably revisit that. But there's there are a couple of different projects out there I think one is called Zamp, I think. And the idea is that for a web developer who knows HTML and CSS and maybe, you know, the bare basics of of web development, but they know nothing about sysadmin sort of infrastructural types of things, there's um there's this there was this application, I think it was called Zamp. I, mean, I could be m- mixing that up, it's something else, but um it was there, there was this application where you could you download the application, you double click, and it would launch it, and it would say, "Okay, you're running a web server now." You know, and and that was that was it. That you were running a local web server, so that your PHP and your JavaScript and stuff would work as expected. And I always used to look at that and just think, "Why would anyone use that if they're on Linux? Like, it would be so much easier to just download Apache and start it, and you're done. Like, you're you've got a LAMP stack now <laughs> because." The L part of that LAMP stack was always there anyway, and all you're doing is filling in the little extra bits. But there was this this application, the dedicated application that you could download and click, and it would it would it would do the same thing for you. But it felt so much easier because it was this it was this application with an icon that you could double click. Highly technical activity disguised as something, I guess, for lack of a better term, user friendly. So that's something to think about, I guess, is the the presentation of of technical tasks. How do they how do they come across to people? What what are what are the users' expectations, and what can we provide to to enable them to do secretly what are what what are secretly highly technical uh, functions? 
that's about all I've got for this episode. Remember, next week I will be in the U.S., so if you are in the U.S. on the East Coast, uh, specifically in Raleigh, North Carolina, let me know. Uh, otherwise, I will be there again in October So uh, for the All Things Open conference. So either way, let me know if you're around. Uh, coffee is not out of the question in that event. And uh, until Oh, and I'll be in San Diego as well, uh, not next week, but the week after. So either of those two locations, Raleigh, North Carolina, San Diego, California. San Diego for the Open Source Summit. That should be an exciting big conference. I'll be talking about Lua there. So uh, if, you're, if you're there, look me up at the Game Developer Minicon. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. subconscious will listen and absorb this message.